Father, thank you for your love. And thank you that fear doesn't have a chance, Lord, when we stand in your love. I know sometimes life doesn't make sense to us. We don't know exactly what's going on at times, and it's a challenge. But you're God in whatever we go through. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and love. I pray that you would speak today as only you can speak. And that we would hear from the Spirit of God. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. Question. How many of you have ever been in a place in your life when life just did not make sense? You ever been there? I mean, you just knew that you were going to get the job. They gave it to somebody else who's less qualified than you are. Or you're a student and you knew that you made an A on that test. Got it back. It's a C minus. Or you just knew that girl was into you. You, you just knew that that was going to be your wife. Ah, they married somebody else. You ever have life not make sense to you? Maybe you worked for 40 years, and you've been thinking about retirement for the last 20, and you've been trying to save and trying to get ready and trying to be prepared. And about a year before you retired, you bought you a fifth-wheel camper because you and your wife are going to travel all over the country one month after you retire you go to the doctor and you find out you've got cancer and you're starting chemo in three weeks and the prognosis is not good you ever have life not make sense to you Maybe you have a child, a son, or a daughter, and they're in a car accident, and, and their lives and your life is going to be changed for the rest of your life. And sometimes, God even asks us to do things that, that don't make sense to us. God wants you to take that job, and it's like, I don't want that job, I want this job. God says, I want you to move over here. And you say, I don't want to live here. I want to live here. God calls you to do one thing. and It doesn't make sense to you what God is calling you to do. The prophet Isaiah says this. God's ways, they're not our ways. They're higher than our ways. They're different than our ways. They're better than our ways in view of eternity. Now, it may not look very good right now. And some of the things that we go through, we go through because we live in an imperfect, sinful world. But sometimes God calls us to do things that do not make sense to us. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart. Say the word all with me. All of your heart. And lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways, acknowledge him. 
and he shall direct your paths. Perhaps the most difficult word in those verses is the word all. You see, I can trust God when circumstances go my way. I can trust God when I get the job or I get the promotion or I can pay all the bills. I can trust God when I have good health and people think that I'm amazing. I can trust God when the circumstances of life are going the way that I want them to go. But when circumstances of life do not go that way, that's a different story. It's harder. And sometimes God even calls us to do things that do not make sense to us. You may feel like Jack sometimes. Jack was taking a hike out of the woods and he kind of got lost. It started getting dark. And he's walking uh, pretty much in the darkness. He doesn't really see where he's going. And he accidentally steps off the ledge of a cliff. He drops immediately, starts falling through the sky. Thankfully, about eight feet to ten feet down, he grabs a branch. He holds on for dear life, but he realizes there's no way I'm going to be able to get back up. And so he calls out for help. Anybody up there? No answer. He calls out again. Anybody else up there? No answer. He calls out a third time. Anybody up there? Finally, a voice from above speaks back to him and says, this is God. Let go of the branch and I will catch you. Jack thinks for just a moment and he says, is anybody else up there? You ever feel like that? God, I don't like this plan. I don't like this idea. I don't like this circumstance that's going on in my life. Well, here in Genesis chapter 22, Abraham is given a test. Now, he's had tests before, like the time he told Sarah, we're moving. And then we're not just moving across town. They're not just going to get a new tent. They're going to move to another country. Can you imagine coming home and telling your wife that, guys? Hey, honey, we're moving. Where are we moving to? I don't know. God said he'd show us when we get there. When are we leaving? Now. Pack your bags. Let's go. Crazy, right? I doubt, though, that that circumstance was nearly as hard is the one that Abraham is going to go through here in Genesis chapter 22. And I doubt that anybody in this room has ever gone through deliberately, on purpose, not that it hasn't happened to somebody, but deliberately, on purpose, been called by God to make a decision that's harder than this one. In Genesis chapter 22, God gives Abraham an order. It's not a suggestion. It's an order. We find the order here in Genesis chapter 22, starting in verse 1. Sometime later, the reference here is in relation to the birth of Isaac. Isaac's not a child anymore. 
He's probably at least a teenager, maybe a young man in his 20s, depending on which scholars you read. Sometime later, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, here I am, he replied. The King James says God tested Abraham or tempted Abraham, the King James says. But I think the idea here is not temptation, but testing. James 1.13 reminds us that God does not tempt anyone. You may ask, what's the difference? Well, in temptation, our enemy, the devil, wants to destroy us. In testing, our God wants to strengthen us, to to build us up, to make us stronger. In testing, the enemy, the devil, wants to pull you away from God and make you a weaker Christian. In testing, God wants to strengthen you and help you grow as a Christian. You might think of testing like a a football coach, Tim. He says, okay, Tim, I want you to, to go to the gym. And I want you to put on a little extra weight on that bar. And I want you to do a few more reps in what you've been doing. I've got a goal for you. It's in order to make you stronger. But temptation is more like a, an apple. Caramel-coated candy apple. You know what I'm talking about? It's about that time of the year, is it not? It looks so good. And it tastes so good. But inside that apple, unbeknownst to you, there is a razor blade inside. So you bite down on that apple, thinking this is tasting amazing, only to bite into that razor blade. And it destroys your mouth on the inside. So is temptation to us when we give in. Go to verse 2. Then God said to Abraham, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the region of Moriah. Sacrifice him. There is a burnt offering on one of the mountains I will tell you about. Can you imagine every word? Every phrase must have cut into Abraham like a knife. Take your son, Abraham. Abraham doesn't have 15 of them. He's got one. Take your son, Abraham, your only son, Isaac, the one whose very name means laughter, the apple of your eye. Take Isaac, your son, the one whom you love, the son of the promise, the one that God promised to make a great nation through. You take your only son, Isaac, and you go sacrifice him. Has God ever given you a hard word? God gave Abraham an order. Now watch what Abraham does. Verse 3. Early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. 
Now, why did Abraham start so early the next day? Well, there may be a spiritual reason and there may be a a practical reason. A spiritual reason could have been that God says do something, you need to do it, right? You don't argue with him. You don't put it off. You don't delay. God says do it, then do it. Have I got any parents in the room today? Got anybody who's ever been a kid? Okay, I think that covers everybody, right? Okay. Let's say, mom and dad, you have a teenage son. And you tell your son, take out the trash, please. But they debate with you about whether or not they ought to take out the trash. And uh, they don't take it out then. They, they put it off kind of till a week from Thursday. You're not real happy with that, are you? Let's say you have a, a child that's a little younger, maybe a first or second grader. And you say, hey, Elizabeth, could you come here a second? I want to talk to you. Elizabeth says, just a minute, can I wait till my show's over, then I'll talk to you. I'm watching TV. How many parents say, okay, just go ahead, I'll see you in about an hour. You don't do that, do you? I want you to come now. Delayed obedience can be the brother to disobedience. I think that could have been a reason, a spiritual reason. God said go, so Abraham says, I'm going, and I'm going now. I think there could have also been a practical reason. Abraham gets up early in the morning, and I think he probably sneaks out rather quietly. I'm going to get out of here, and I'm going to go, and I don't want to disturb Sarah when I'm leaving. Because I don't think Abraham wants a whole lot of questions. And I think Sarah could probably read Abraham like a book, because they're married, right? How many are you married? Okay. Troy, can she read you like a book? Yep. Right? And so it's really difficult if you're a guy to hide something from your wife when it's troubling you the way it is. And it had to be troubling Abraham. So it could have been the practical reason. I'm just going to get up and I'm going to go. I don't want to explain all this. I just, I just need to go and do this. Not only is Abraham's response immediate, his preparation is deliberate. Verse 3 tells us that early the next morning, Abraham got up and saddled his donkey. Not only was Abraham punctual, Abraham was prepared. Verse 3 continues to tell us that he took with him two of his servants and his son Isaac. When he cut enough wood for the burnt offering, he set out for the place God had told him about. On the third day, Abraham looked up and saw the place in the distance. It took some time for Abraham to get there. It would have been me. I'd been kicking and screaming the whole way. I'd been arguing with God. I'd been rationalizing why this cannot be you, God. Abraham's got three days to think about this. But the Bible says nothing about Abraham pleading or even whining or complaining or offering excuses about why he shouldn't go. Finally, Abraham arrives at the place, and he says to his servants in verse 5, Stay here with the donkey while the boy and I, that's Isaac, go over there. Now, Isaac's not a small child, okay? Probably at least a teenager, 
Verse 6 says he carried his own wood. Think about it. Abraham is over 100 years old. He's not a young guy. Isaac is a young, strapping man. Okay? Nathan, how old are you? 18. All right, think Nathan over there, okay? How many of you think one of you 80-year-olds could probably outrun Nathan if you decide to chase him? Probably not. He could probably pin you to the ground if he wanted to, right? I think Isaac could have easily escaped if he wanted to. Probably could have pinned Abraham to the ground. He's over 100, okay? He's in really good shape for his age, but he's no kid. Isaac is, okay? Isaac... However, voluntarily carries his own wood up the hill, up the mountain. Centuries later, another young man, a little older, in his 30s, would also carry his own wood up a hill. He was mocked, he was stripped, he was beaten. They shoved a crown of thorns on his head, and they nailed him to a cross. He did that for you. The next time you may think God doesn't love you, remember what Jesus did for you. Remember what God the Father did in sending Jesus to die for you. Not only was Abraham's response immediate and his preparation deliberate, Abraham has an amazing confidence. Verse 5 continues. Abraham says, we will worship, and then we will come back to you. Abraham is faced with two paradoxical truths, two seeming contradictions. On the one hand, Isaac is the son of the promise. Isaac is the one that God had told Abraham and Sarah he would make a great nation through. On the other side, God just told Abraham to kill his son, offer him as a sacrifice, burn him up on the altar after you push a knife through his heart. How do those things come together? Now, God will never ask you to kill your child, okay? You might get mad sometimes, but God's not going to ask you to do that. Sometimes... God will put you in circumstances that will not make sense to you. God knows what he's doing, though. Do you believe that? I believe God knows what he's doing. Absolutely. He's never lost a battle. He's never been defeated in a war. He's never said, oops, I shouldn't have done that. God knows everything, okay? I recently heard about a man who is about to have surgery. And just before he's going into surgery, the the surgeon comes to the young man and he he says to him, he says, uh, Sir, you you look a little nervous here. Is this your first surgery? And the man says, uh, the patient says, Yeah, it is my first surgery and I'm really nervous about it. The doctor says, I totally understand. It's my first surgery too. (laughs) That's not very comforting, is it? Listen, God's not like that surgeon. 
God knows what he's doing. And he always is in charge. He's always in control. He, he's never confused. The New Testament gives us some additional insight into Abraham's mindset here. Hebrews eleven nineteen says that Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead. Isn't that incredible? Remember, this is before the resurrection of Jesus or the raising of Lazarus or anybody else from the dead in all the Bible. Human sacrifice was something practiced by some of the pagans around Abraham, but the resurrection from the dead, that had to be a concept with which Abraham was not familiar. Yet still, he trusted and he obeyed. Nowhere do we see that God had promised to spare Abraham's son. Yet somehow, Abraham understood enough of God's character that he was willing to do what God required in the hope, in the confidence, in the faith that somehow God would work out the details and spare his only son, Isaac. Listen, God would spare Abraham's son. But God loved you so much that he did not spare his own. John 3.16 says this. Say it with me if you know it. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Do you believe that? Romans 5.8 says God demonstrated his love for you in that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died on the cross for your sin. 2 Corinthians 5.21 said God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that incredible? Think about it. When Jesus was in the garden, just before his crucifixion trial, he cries out to his heavenly Father and he says, if there's any other way, let this cup pass from me. God the Father said, you got to do it. you got to go through this, son. And Jesus said, not my will, but thine be done. When Jesus was hanging on the cross in agony and suffering and pain, bearing the sin of the world, he cries out to his Father and says, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Imagine the agony, not only physical, but emotional and spiritual agony that Jesus went through for you because he loves you. Abraham's obedience is followed by Isaac's submission. Go to verse 6. Abraham took the wood for the burnt offering and placed it on his son Isaac. Isaac carries the wood and he himself, Abraham carried the fire and the knife as the two of them went on together. Isaac spoke up and said to his father Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? 
That question must have cut through Abraham's heart like a hot knife through soft butter. Daddy, the wooden fire here, where's the lamb? Century after century, this penetrating question would ring throughout the pages of history as Israel would offer sacrifice after sacrifice after sacrifice. But none of those sacrifices would be sufficient. Where's the lamb? Where's the lamb? Several hundred years later, John the Baptist would introduce Jesus Christ, the Messiah, with these words. Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Amen? In verse 7, Isaac spoke up and said to his father, Abraham, Father, yes, my son, Abraham replied. The fire and wood are here, Isaac said, but where's the lamb for the burnt offering? And Abraham answered, God himself will provide. Isn't that incredible? Abraham does not know how. He does not know what. All he knows is his God is a God who provides. Like Abraham, it's not our job to determine the will of God. It's only our job to determine to follow it. Take up thy cross and follow me. I heard my master say, I gave my life to ransom thee. Surrender your all today. It may be through the shadows dimmer or the stormy sea. I take my cross and follow him wherever he leadeth me. My heart, my life, my all I bring to Christ who loves me so. He is my master, Lord and King. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Perhaps you know the chorus. Wherever he leads, I'll go. Wherever he leads, I'll go. I'll follow my Christ who loves me so. Wherever he leads, I'll go. To paraphrase the great preacher, Charles Haddon Spurgeon, God is too wise to be mistaken. God is too good to be unkind. But when you can't trace God's hand, here's what you can do. Correct that word in your bulletin. You can trust his heart. Amen? Verse 9. When they reached the place God had told them about, Abraham built an altar there and arranged the wood on it. He bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood, like our Lord Jesus would do nearly 2,000 years later. Isaac willingly laid down his life in obedience to his father. Then Abraham reached out his hand. He took the knife, and he's ready to slay his son. Can you imagine? This is crunch time in Abraham's life. This is what Henry Blackaby calls a crisis of belief. Will I obey or will I not obey? And sometimes you will find your place, your time, in the crisis of belief. Will I trust God? Will I follow God? Will I obey God? Or will I simply do my own thing? Will I take the easy way out? 
Abraham's obedience and Isaac's submission are followed by God's provision. Go to verse 11. But the angel of the Lord called out to him from heaven, Abraham, Abraham, here I am, he replied. Do not lay a hand on the boy, he said. Do not do anything to him. Now I know that you fear God because you have not withheld from me your son, your only son. Abraham looked up and there in a thicket he saw a ram caught by its horns. He went over and he took the ram and sacrificed it as a burnt offering instead of his son. Look at verse 14. So Abraham called that place Jehovah-Jireh. Say that with me. Jehovah-Jireh. One more time. Jehovah-Jireh, which means the Lord will provide. Jehovah-Jireh means the Lord will provide. And to this day, it is said, on the mountain of God, it will be provided. I've got good news. Our God is still a God who provides. Do you believe that? Philippians 4.19 says, But my God shall supply all of your need according to his riches in glory. Because our God is a God who provides. Philippians 1.6 says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day of Christ Jesus because our God is a God who provides. Psalm 46, 1 says, God is our refuge and strength. He's an ever-present help in time of trouble. Matthew 6, says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. 2 Peter 1, 3 says, God's divine power has given you everything you need for life and godliness. Psalm 34, verses 8 through 10 says, Oh, taste and see that the Lord is good. Blessed is the man who trusteth in him. Oh, fear the Lord, you saints, for there is no lack to those who fear him. The 23rd Psalm says, Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because thou, my God, you're with me. Romans 8.31 says, If God is for you, it doesn't matter who's against you. Romans 8.37 says, You're more than a conqueror through Jesus Christ your Lord. Isaiah chapter 40 says, Even though youths get tired and weary, but those who wait upon the Lord shall renew their strength. They shall mount up with wings as eagles. They shall run and not be weary. They shall walk and not faint. 2 Corinthians 12.9 says, God's strength is made perfect in the middle of your weakness. Some of you may feel weak today. Some of you may feel tired. Some of you may feel like giving up. But let me encourage you. Keep your eyes on Jesus Christ. Keep your hope and faith and trust in him. And you follow him because God says, greater is he who is in you than he who is in the world. And faith is the victory that overcomes the world. Amen? He's not done with you yet. He's working. He's calling you to follow him. Every fiber of your being. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your grace. Thank you for your mercy and for your love. Thank you for the privilege of knowing you. And thank you, oh God, for Jesus Christ coming to this earth to die for us. That we might live forever with you. If you've never nailed it down in your own heart, 
nailed it down in your own life. Jesus Christ is your Savior and Lord. Today's your day. Put your trust in Him. Give your life to Him. For some of you, maybe you feel like you've nailed that down. But if you're honest, you're kind of doing life your own way. You know there are things that God's calling you to do, but you just don't know if you can step out of faith. Listen, God is worthy to be followed, and he is trustworthy. You can trust him. For somebody else, it might be to follow Jesus in believer's baptism or to join this church. Whatever God is saying, you say yes to him. Father, hear our prayer. Move in this invitation. Pray all this.